The Mike Lupica Podcast. New York Daily News columnist and best-selling author. Mike Lupica has covered just about Mike every sport. Lupica. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion-dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica. Lupica podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Before we chat with Matt Taibbi, I want to let you know that today's show, as usual, is brought to you by Geico. When shopping for car insurance, consider this. Geico's been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. So if you're serious about savings, it's simple. Go to Geico.com. After 75 years, they know how to save you money. Welcome to this week's Mike Lupica podcast. I um, have been a fanboy of Matt Taibbi for a long time, and I'm so old now that I was a fanboy of his father Mike's work on television and continue to be. His latest book is called Insane Clown President. I have no idea who that could possibly be about. He has basically been at Rolling Stone for the last 13 or 14 years. He is one of the smartest and best, not just political writers, because to me, that is too limiting. Um, He is just one of the best columnists in America, and that comes from somebody who has done this for a bit of time. Matt, thank you for doing this. Thanks so much, Mike. That's very kind of you to say. I mean, uh, and likewise, I grew up reading your columns, so... Yeah, you know, my problem with that, Matt, is um, the people who tell me that, <laughs> the people who tell me that are getting older and older, and it's a bit um, d- d- dispiriting and disquieting. Um, there's so many places to start today. You, Matt and I were actually corresponding while he was on a, a, a plane to Seattle, and I actually offered him uh, the attorney general's job because I told him it might be opening up soon. But let me go back to, let me, let's start with, uh, Donald Trump's speech in front of Congress the other night. And, and Matt, here's what I was thinking. And I, I, I wrote a column about it, but it, it didn't deal with this. It, it dealt with the fact that he brought those, the, the three people who had lost people to violence from undocumented immigrants as though that's the greatest threat facing America and never used the word guns in his whole thing. Why would he think the media is his enemy? After the fawning analysis of one of what is what I believe is already one of the most overrated speeches in the history of American politics. Oh God, uh, that was it was shocking um, and really nauseating the response uh, in, in the press. You know, especially given the way that he's been treating the media in the last uh, you know ever, ever since he's been elected. But beyond that. Um, the people who've been covering Donald Trump and especially the the political writers who've had to go follow him around on the campaign trail, they should know better by now that Trump's pattern is to swing wildly between seeming superficially reasonable and then he'll be crazy the next day. And to suddenly give him credit for this makeover uh, and civility and, and you know respect for the rule of law and all these things that they're giving him credit for now is is unbelievably naive and short-sighted, and um, I, I was appalled. I, 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 know, I know you were too, but I, I couldn't believe that uh, our colleagues were doing that. And, you know, you have to preface this by saying it was an extremely emotional moment with Ryan Owens, the, the, the widow, the, the, the Navy SEAL who got killed in um, the, the Yemen raid, and 
and no disrespect to him, his service, or her loss. But wasn't it that, Matt, wasn't it the same morning that this president was blaming his death on his generals? Right. Yeah. No, exactly. And and certainly that's not what you're wanting from your executive. The, the cl- Classically, the president takes responsibility for everything. Um, that's that's we go, going back to the whole the buck stops here quote. I mean, uh, Trump did exactly the opposite. And that's that's kind of not what you're what you're looking for in a leader. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, there, it was a very effective police piece of political theater. But that doesn't mean that we should give Trump credit for having done anything or done anything noble. It just means that. Um, you know, they they came up with something that was going to be a, an effective piece of television. Matt Taibbi has written Griftopia, Bubble Machines and Vampire Squids and the long con that is breaking America, where you t- took on <laughs> the most ambitious thing just for me, because I, I can't even balance a checkbook, the, the, the economic structure of this country. Tell me about what ins- I mean, it, this sounds like a rhetorical question. What is insane clown president about? It's um, it's really about how how Trump got elected. Uh, you know, I've covered a lot of presidential campaigns. So even before Trump became uh, a candidate, I, I had a lot of time over the last um, you know twelve to sixteen years. You know, this, I've covered five of them to see uh, the various flaws uh, and problems with the process of how 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 we elect um, our candidates and. Again, even before Trump jumped into the race, I had had thoughts a long time ago that anybody who was um, uh, canny enough to sort of run against the process and villainize the press and the the political donors and the two political parties and really sort of turn the cameras back on on us, on the people who are reporting on on political candidates, that person was going to do really well. And Trump did that. And he also very, very effectively took advantage of the financial dynamics of our business. You know, as you know, media companies have to make money and they were unable to take their eyes off of him because of the ratings. And that gave him, you know, probably over a billion dollars of free publicity at the beginning of the campaign. And that, so, so it's about things like that. It's really about the process and how he took advantage of it. Matt, do you think he figured out how to game the system, or was this sort of political flying by the seat of the pants in in this way, okay? I don't think he had any idea how the wall was going to play, for example. And and he went out there one day, and he starts talking about a wall, and he, he had to come off that day and said, holy shit, they screamed at that, okay? And so, the, <laughs> and then he said, holy, you know, it's like telling a joke, you're on tour, and you tell a joke in Cleveland, and it kills, so you say, well, shit, I gotta tell it in Omaha now, and then he talks about the Muslim ban, and do do you think he came in with a plan, or do you think he he was, in a cunning way, he was able to figure it out as he went along? Yeah, no, I I definitely think it's the latter. Um, He he is very pointedly not a person who has plans. He he has a, a lot of difficulty, although he's gotten a lot better, as evidenced by the speech the other day. He has difficulty even reading prepared remarks. So that was something that he had to learn how to do <laughs> during the campaign. Right. And he, um, and I think what happened was he, he sort of entered this race in a, in a, on a lark, uh, probably as a publicity stunt. 
and just sort of his natural narcissism and grasping for attention. Um, you know, you, you, you add that to his instincts as a reality show performer, and he was sort of just looking for attention. But, you know, and being as good as he is at TV, he understood how to get hits, how to get ratings, how to get eyeballs, and that ended up coinciding with you know, a lot of these sort of undercurrents in American politics. And when he started saying things about the wall and about Mexicans, he started to get momentum. I, I, I think that if he, had, if he had joined the race as a Democrat and started to, he could just as easily have run as a completely different kind of candidate um, who was more progress, progressive. It just so happened that he ran as a Republican and this is what worked for him. Do you think, again, the law of unintended consequences, he he was running against all of these tomato cans and and Mm -hmm. as it was like whack-a-mole, you know, and as they all sort of disappeared in an odd way, that gave him momentum, too, because he was up against all these losers and it started to make him look like more of a winner. Absolutely. That was that was a major, major factor in the race. The. The sheer number of candidates was a big thing. Uh, the weakness of the presumptive nominee, uh, or, excuse me, frontrunner Jeb Bush, that was another big factor. But the main thing was Trump. Trump's celebrity just towered over the rest of these these candidates, and it, alone among all of these individuals um, in this group, he really understands the modern media. He understands social media, he understands the internet, he understands TV, he understands cable TV, uh, and he was such a, a famous person that when he finally got on stage with all, all these other people, he actually seemed physically bigger than the rest of them. Uh, they, the cameras uh, involuntarily stayed on him for minutes longer than they did anybody else on stage, uh, and he had a sort of force of gravity that that uh, that carried him through, and and that ultimately made a huge difference. People, I talked to people on the trail. He said crazy things about about Trump. You know that they voted for him because he had balls like watermelons, while Rubio had balls like marbles. I mean, it was crazy <laughs> with the things that people were saying. But they literally perceived him to be a bigger person. We're talking to Matt Taibbi, who is just again one of the best political writers, one of the best columnists uh, in in America. Matt, what did you think in the moment when the Access Hollywood tape came to light? Because if there was one moment in the thing where I was dead wrong, okay, dead wrong, and I knew that his base just didn't give a rip about the stuff that we cared about. They, they didn't care what he said about John McCain. They didn't care what they said about uh, Captain Khan. They didn't care. But I thought that one had crossed a line, and I thought he was through, and I was dead wrong. It just solidified his base even more. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I- we were all wrong, weren't we? I mean, I I think everybody who covered covered this campaign um, thought he, there was no recovering from that moment. I, I was actually in Wisconsin when that came out, and um, and Trump had been scheduled to hold an appearance with Paul Ryan and some other uh, and James Sensenbrenner and some other big Republicans, and they disinvited him and the idea of somebody running for president and being renounced by his own party and winning just seemed so totally unlikely that I, I dismissed it from my mind as a possibility and this it was clearly a mistake I think we should never make the mistake of thinking that something that Trump does 
uh, is uh, you know fatal to him politically. There's I don't think there's anything that he can do, um, you know, short of being caught on camera, you know, in in something involving I, I don't know with cannibalism or children. I mean, there's not there's really nothing at this point that that would shock me that he could survive. What about Russia? I mean, let's talk about Russia because it it was a growing storm at the end of the campaign, and I'm not one of those people who think it was any one thing that won it for him and, and lost it for her. I think I think Comey hurt her, obviously, tremendously, just because of the timing of the thing. I do think that there was some mischief going on with Assange and WikiLeaks and all the rest of us. But but what do you think that that at some point in his business career, Somebody close to Putin bailed this guy out and it is now being held over. So because that I don't even think that's a dark conspiracy theory. It's a it's a conspiracy theory that is out in the light. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I lived in Russia for 11 years, so um, I was there for a long time uh, and I am still in contact with a lot of Russian reporters uh, and a lot of reporters, uh, Western reporters who work there. And so we all talk to each other. Um, and when this story started to come out, uh, a lot of us were really perplexed. Uh, and I, I think the, the consensus among the people who I'm in contact with is that I, I worry a lot about, uh, about this story. As a journalist, I think it's kind of a dangerous story because uh, even if there's, if there's truth to it, um, and I do believe that the Russians hacked the DNC and that they gave that material to WikiLeaks. Um, there's still the, the, the current iteration of the story is still heavily reliant upon unnamed intelligence sources uh, who are, for reasons that are a little bit mysterious to me, litigating this in the media as opposed to taking direct action uh, and you know, prosecuting the case. And that makes me nervous. Um, so I. I, I'm trying to kind of refrain from comment about that one because I I just don't know. I, I think I think all. Oh, nor really do I. Do By point. the way, nor do I. Yeah. Oh, you know, I have mm-hmm. talked to we we may have talked to some of the same senators who and mm-hmm. and maybe you've heard this because I've heard this. There's and this was before he was sworn in. There's a lot of Russia stuff banging around down here, meaning in Washington. That's what mm-hmm. I was told. Okay, and and one guy said that when he would deign to go to an intelligence meeting and the subject of Russia would be raised, he would say, "I don't want to talk about that." Now, is that is that like worthy of an indictment? No, of course it's not, or a grand jury. But is this something that you want to look at it later and say, you know, maybe? If there was all this smoke, there was a fire burning somewhere on this story. Yeah, no, it's it's entirely possible. I just, I, I, you know, again, I worry about it just because I think a lot of a lot of reporters were hearing the same thing. There, there was a lot of opposition research that was being shopped around to pretty much every political reporter uh, during beginning. I think in the summer, um, a lot of us you know, kind of saw that dossier or saw pieces of it or heard about it. Um, and there were a lot of rumors that were being shopped around and some of it was coming from private oppo firms and some of it was coming from people in government. Some of it was coming from members of Congress who had heard things in hearings and briefings. Uh, but the substance of a lot of these stories, you know, the narrative of it was a little strange. It was like, well, there's an investigation. There was an attempt to get a search warrant. Uh, there was an attempt to to you know open an investigation uh, in in 
you know, certain agencies, but we never got that other step of what is the actual thing that they're looking at. And, um, we still really don't have it. And that's, that's what makes me nervous. I, I, I am absolutely willing to believe that, that something like that could happen. And I've seen having lived over there, I've seen that they do blackmail people all the time, but, uh, I'm just worried that about, you know, speculating about it. Yeah, and it was interesting today. I was watching um, uh, Morning Joe and Michael Schmidt, one of the writers of the New York Times piece about the contact between Trump's people and the Russians, was on. And I think it was Willie Geist who said, well, you know, to, to, to sort of narrow down what does Trump's people mean, you know, and even and I know nobody talks about the sources and they're certainly not going to talk about them on television. But it was a little vague who these people were that we're meeting with the Russians. Did did you find that in your reading of the piece? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also the, the, the there was that. There was the whole idea of, you know, the, the, the first big piece that came out about this was talked about how uh, people who are Trump surrogates had had contact with uh, people in the Russian intelligence services. Well, you know, if, if you've lived over there, you know that can mean an awful lot of different things. I mean, I've had contact with people in the Russian intelligence services <laughs> right, right. because right. there are an awful lot of them over there. If you do any kind of business uh, or if you work in journalism, you inevitably run into somebody who either works at a think tank or works in an embassy or some, something like that who – you know, is also in intelligence. And is it an inadvertent contact? Was it a knowing contact? What was the substance of those contacts? So a lot of these stories came with disclaimers that said, we investigated this, we looked for hints of collusion, we didn't find anything, but we we found these contacts. So what does that mean? I, I just find it all really confusing. What about Sessions? Just off of what we know and what he said, under direct questioning from from Senator Al Franken, do, do, do you think that rises to the standard of, of of perjury, or is it is it more nuanced than that? Well, certainly you can't have the Attorney General of the United States lying under oath, and and even though in Congress they do let that go all the time, oddly enough, they. The the only time that they've really been aggressive about that that kind of behavior is with sports people. <laughs> you know, they went after Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, and um, but they let it go with a lot of executives from the financial services industry who clearly committed perjury in some of their hearings. Uh, but you can't have the attorney general uh, parsing the meaning of met with or had contact with. Um, you know, if he deliberately de- deceived people under oath, that you, you can't have that. And and it's it's absolutely. I don't think recusing himself from from. I don't know what you think. I I don't think recusal is enough. If if he actually did that, he's got to go. He's got to go. And uh, we're talking to Matt Taibbi on the Mike Lupica podcast. And so, with all of your concerns about. And again, I'm throwing a great big blanket over this. The Russia stuff, okay? I hope that's mm-hmm. not too technical for you, the Russia stuff. But are we moving towards a special prosecutor? Well, there should be a special prosecutor if there's there, there's enough to investigate. They already do have the, you know, the House Intelligence Committee that's looking into it. But um, especially since one of the things that they've learned so far is that there are people in the executive branch who, who may be suspects in this whole thing. I, I don't see how you can not go the special prosecutor route, but um, I guess some of that depends on, 
what what exactly they have and what you would need. I, I actually don't know this. I don't I don't know how much how much of a case you need to have before you can establish you know that kind of investigation. But clearly, it, it can't be done by by the executive branch now, uh, especially with these people you know having these these contacts. When 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 you look at this. Um, administration from the outside as as we all ultimately do even with his obsession about leaks um i wrote a column about this the other day um i you know i grew up in this business covering george steinbrenner when he when he was sort of the barnaby blustery president of an owner of the yankees that that trump is as president of the united states and it figures that they were buddies okay and gabe mm-hmm. paul old gabe paul this wonderful old baseball guy once told me my job with George is saying no. And and he actually put his hand on my arm and said to say to him, you don't want to do that. OK, now he wasn't always successful, right. but he was successful some of the time. OK, who is that person in this White House right now, Matt? Yeah, there's nobody. And, that, and, and that's the really scary thing about about this administration. I mean, you think about Donald Trump in the middle of the night going on Twitter <laughs> and and yeah. blasting Meryl Streep because she gave a speech. If, if the president of the United States and the and the person who's got control of the nuclear arsenal can't take uh, being you know ripped by an actress on television, and there's nobody to step in and say you probably shouldn't do that, um, what's going to happen when? there's an insult from a foreign leader or a perceived insult or he misreads the situation and there's there's no voice in the room counseling him to to chill out that's that's really worrisome i mean i think that and and this whole idea that he's he's nominated all these people who are openly hostile to the missions of the agencies they're supposed to run um that those are the two things that really make me nervous about, about this administration Matt Taibbi's new book is called Insane Clown uh, President. I, this is an odd question, but I think about it a lot because I've and, and again, I don't know this man well. I've, I've known him for a long time. I knew him in the 80s when when the rise of Trump and and I spent a lot of time talking to him on the phone early in the campaign because Matt. I never thought he was going to end up president. So I thought it was kind of a fun <laughs> story and it was kind of entertaining and 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 and. Do you th- so it's a long way around to asking you this question. Do you think I and I know the rush of power and being the most famous guy in the world is is incredible narcotic to him, okay? Do you think he actually likes doing this? Uh, you know, that's a great question because a lot, actually a lot of the reporters in the trail talked about this like well, if you're Donald Trump, why would you want to be president? It's kind of a crappy job, you know? I mean, you <laughs> right. you have to right. put in very long hours. It's really stressful. Um, you never get any time to yourself, and your every move is scrutinized. And and Trump clearly loves the attention, and he loves power, and he he does have a messianic view of himself. Uh, but if he was just being pragmatic about it, God, I mean, this would be the last thing in the world he'd want to do. I mean, wouldn't you want to just spend your money and hang out in those luxury resorts and cavort with models and do whatever else he's been doing his the rest of his life? I, I don't think he, he ever expected this to happen, but now now he's in it. And um, and, and it, it, it was obvious to people who covered him that his mood started to sour 
uh, as this went along. I mean, he, he seemed more enervated and excited, uh, but as he got closer to, to the prospect of winning, um, but but he's also darker now. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you noticed. I mean, you talk to him, but he, he jokes an awful lot less now than he, than he did before. Oh, so. I haven't talked to him. I haven't talked to him in, 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 in months and months. He strikes me. There's a part of Donald that strikes me. There's a famous story about one of Billy Martin's bar fights at, at PJ Clark's. And a friend <laughs> of mine was an eyewitness to it. And, and he's drinking at the bar, and he's getting loaded, and everybody's loaded. And there's a fan there, and he kept saying... Billy, I love you. Billy, I love you. And the I love yous went on for a while. And then finally he said something and Billy dropped him. And the guy got up and he said, what was that for? And Billy said, I don't know. I just didn't like the tone of your voice there at the end. And and I... <laughs> <laughs> and I, there's there's an element of Trump to, to that, where he actually thinks he's going to be carried around the room for every single decision he makes. Oh yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, and and he he does seem to have like a really short fuse in exactly that same way. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about Billy Martin, but they do they do have a lot <laughs> in common, actually. Um, you know, I was at the CPAC conference last week. And Trump is giving a speech and he's smiling at the beginning. And then suddenly, like 10 seconds into it, he notices that the people who stood up to give him a standing ovation had not sat down yet. And he got upset. He's like, sit down, everybody. And everybody's looking at each other like, well, what's he upset about? And somehow in Trump's mind, apparently, he explains this live that he feels like if the people don't sit down, that the press isn't going to notice that they were standing to begin with, and they won't give him credit for having a standing ovation. And he's like, the dishonest media will say there was no standing ovation, so sit down. <laughs> and, and he got really upset about it, and they launched into an 18-minute tirade about the press. And so that tells me that this is not a happy person, you know, that there's something going on there, because he, he wasn't really like that uh, 18 months ago. And he, there's, there's a part of him who, but he wants the approval of the cool kids and, and whether he'll admit it or not, the times is the cool kids and the post, they're the cool kids and, and, and CNN and on and on. And so there's this incredible push pull that's going on. Even as he attacks them, he, he wants their approval. He's like, He's like the kid in high school that, that, that has a chip on his shoulder because the cool kids haven't embraced him still. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, look, look at how much attention he, he spends on things like Saturday Night Live and, and <laughs> you know, the, the Hollywood people who are giving him a hard time. I mean, you're the president of the United States. Who cares? You know, I mean, like, you know, the, if, why should it bother you if Alec Baldwin is doing an impersonation of you? I mean, it, it, it shouldn't, but it really does bother him because that's, I think what he wants is he wants the same kind of adulation that Barack Obama got. And Barack, Barack Obama sort of, he, he got the, the sort of love and worship and admiration of, of exactly the set of people that you're talking about, you know, the kind of the, the cool urbanites. And Trump is not getting that. And I think that, I think that bothers him a little bit, um, yeah, which is odd. More with Matt Taibbi after this. 
from Barracuda. If you're familiar with cloud computing, you probably know that Amazon Web Services offers a complete set of secure compute, storage, application, and deployment services that help companies launch and scale their IT infrastructures while lowering costs. But did you know that you're still responsible for protecting your own AWS-based assets, meaning your applications and data, from advanced cyber threats? Protect your AWS with Barracuda Network's Advanced Firewall Solutions. Visit AWS Marketplace or barracuda.com slash AWS to learn more. We're talking to Matt Taibbi. His new book is called Insane Clown President. You have read his work for years, and it, I'm telling you, it is, again, I, I've i been at this a long time, and and um, it's it's brilliant work um, in, in, in Rolling Stone and, and, and other places. He even, he even gets into sports sometimes. Um, do, Matt, do you buy into this theory? Because I've, I've heard this from people inside the government that a lot of what is coming out now, even even if it is sketchy intel about Russia, that the Obama administration knew this and they were afraid to disseminate any of it because they didn't want it to look in the last stages of the campaign like they were stepping on the scale. Yeah, I, I have heard that. Um, but, you know, I. I I also find myself wondering, you know, how could they have that thought process? I mean, if they really thought that Donald Trump was compromised and, you know, essentially a, a tool of a foreign power, you know, you have to stop worrying about etiquette and appearances at that point. I mean, that's this is a Super Bowl of intelligence crises right here. I mean, if if that's really what's going on, they they needed to to step up and do something about it and um and again i i sort of question why would they have to litigate this through the media they if if they had that kind of evidence and and if they felt sure enough about it um they had the power to act on it and that that's what makes me gives me some pause about all this uh and uh makes me wonder what what's going on and makes and also makes me wonder if they made a mis- miscalculation you know if they really did do nothing out of concern for how it would look um you know i think they failed us yeah and and you know it, all this stuff that is coming out now all of these stories i agree with you in a hundred percent in this way they better be right because if it's wrong and it gives it leaves the door open for him to once talk about once again talk about fake news it's going to be very difficult to convince people that the next big story is something that they need to pay attention to and take seriously yeah that's exactly right that's exactly what i'm worried about um you mean you hit the nail on the head there that that's why this is such a dangerous story for the news media, because at, at the very moment when Donald Trump is up there and every chance he gets, he talks about fake news and he denounces the news media uh, for, for being biased and incorrect and jumping the gun. Uh, here we are, you know, running the story that, again, is almost entirely coming from un- unnamed intelligence sources. And, you know, it's not that I don't believe that it could be true. It's it's more what you're saying. If it turns out not to be true, my God, what a disaster that would be for the media. We would we, we would it would take a generation for us to get our credibility back. Um, it was bad enough what happened after the Iraq War, uh, but this would be so much worse if if this turned out to be a mistake in any way. 
We're talking to Matt Taibbi. Matt, did you? I, I ran into him uh, a couple of months ago. Um, we were doing a, a TV show together uh, in New York. Did you think Michael Moore was crying wolf when he said, "All of you people, you're going to be wrong about this. Trump is going to win." And and I, you know, I thought it was brilliantly written, but I thought, okay, he's, you know, this is uh, as brilliant as I think Michael is. I did. Did you? Th- did you take him seriously when he kept saying Trump was going to win the election? You know, uh, I, I, I didn't dismiss him. I mean, I, I was actually saying I was saying that as late as, I guess, March of last year. I, I, I felt I felt pretty strongly that Trump, if he didn't win, that he was going to come close. And then uh, and then I sort of fell for a lot of stuff. I, I, I had this moment where at the convention, I ran into a Democratic Party operative at the Republican convention who sat me down and basically went through the numbers and said, you know, it would take 19 different demographic accidents that are all unlikely for him to have any chance of winning. And I, I just bought it. I bought it hook, line and sinker, even though I saw the same things that Michael Moore was seeing, which was that out there in, you know, sort of non New York, L.A., Washington, America, you know, in between the cities, Trump was generating these enormous crowds and tons and tons of raw enthusiasm. And you did not see the same thing on the Democratic side. And if, so if you didn't, if you weren't paying attention to the polls, that's the, exactly the impression that you would have gotten. Uh, and I think that's what Michael was trying to say. And we should, probably should have listened to him more. You know, it's 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 interesting when when you look back on it and I I across the summer and into the fall, I did keep writing that each of them had been presented with what I thought was a dream candidate. And in and, and this way, Matt, he he was she was the only person he could have beaten. I honestly believe that. But on the other hand, I thought he was the only person that she could have been consistently ahead of the polls. So they had each been presented with a dream candidate. And again, we can parse why it happened. OK, and we can go and look at those four states and those seventy seven thousand votes. But there was something and whether we thought it was dopey or for slow thinking people or not, he had a message and she did not. Absolutely. Absolutely. He did. He did. And that's, that's still the case. You know, um, his, his message is we, we take care of our citizens first. And that's, you know, sort of the symbolism of what the wall is about and the sort of rejection of globalism and all of that. And then there's, of course, the uglier nationalistic xenophobic stuff, but they do have a message. And, uh, and then there was Hillary Clinton was exactly the wrong candidate because one of Trump's the signature sort of themes on the, on the stump was that both Democrats and Republicans were complicit in this financial conspiracy where the big donors were, were supporting all these candidates and they were turning around and giving favors to these corporations who were in turn taking your jobs overseas. And he, he, you know, Jeb Bush, the Bushes and the Clintons were prime examples of what he was talking about, you know, with the free trade agreements and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so she was she was exactly the wrong person for the Democrats to run because she was right in his wheelhouse rhetorically. And the, whereas the Democrats, their message was Trump is incompetent. We're going to run on Trump's temperament. And they tried to run that kind of campaign, but they didn't have 
they didn't have a positive, enthusiastic reason for people to vote for them. And that I think that's still hurting them because we're all, all year from them now is about Russia. And even again, even if it's true, it's not the same as we're the people who's going to turn this, this country around. You think Bernie could have beaten him? I do. I do. And that's and I've, I've known Bernie for a long time and I, and I like him. Uh, and but that's not the reason. Um, it, the reason was that I kept going to Trump speeches late in the year and people would say to me over and over and over again yeah uh, you know i don't agree with bernie sanders but i respect him uh i think he's honest uh, and he's not one of them and i think that a lot of those people would have either voted for him or would have at least stayed home if um if he had been in the race whereas hillary clinton had the same reaction from everybody that i talked to uh on the on the republican side and and so yeah, I mean, I, I, this, this was a year when the inside politician, the person who's been part of the system for a long time, that person was unpopular no matter who you talk to. And Bernie was perceived as an outsider, as somebody new, and, and I think he would have had a better chance for that reason. We're talking to Matt Taibbi. I will never get today to all the things I want to ask him about. Let me, let's go back to the Trump White House for a second, okay? Mm-hmm. Which Steve... <laughs> This is like a lady or the tiger question. Which Steve scares you the most, Bannon or Miller? Oh, yeah, well, and Mnuchin's in there, too. Um, oh, yeah, it's right. It's, it's Steve. It's a Steve festival. You're right. Yeah, exactly. No, de- definitely, definitely Bannon. Bannon scares scares the hell out of me. He um, he's he's smart and strategic uh, and totally unscrupulous and has has uh, definite knowledge of history and he he, uh, he knows what he's doing so the, the, when trump started to founder in the summer uh, after his convention and sort of leading into that access hollywood nonsense that's when he brought bannon in and they did this crazy thing where he starts going around the country selling himself as the savior of the african-american community and talking about how he how he he just loved African American culture so much, it seemed crazy at the time, but it was brilliant. That's what saved the election for him because he what he was doing was rehabilitating himself with Republicans who didn't like to think of themselves as racist, and that's what won him the election. Is that he re, he recovered those lost Republican votes, and that was Bannon. And what what that the problem with Bannon is that. It, it weds the sort of raw political energy of Trump to a strategy. Without Bannon, it's just Trump flailing around. But with Bannon, they can do a lot of damage, and that's what worries me. You know, I look at Stephen Miller. I was I was talking to a political friend of mine the other day, and who was Trump's political mentor? It was Roy Cohn, okay? And mm-hmm. he yep. was a headbanger. He was take no prisoners. And, and here comes this kid who even, even a little physically looks like a young Roy Cohn. And I don't think he has his ear to the extent that Bannon does, okay? But it, it's pretty clear from reporting that I respect that he he was the driving force behind this executive order on the Muslim ban. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and you're and you're right on with the Roy Cohen co- comparison. I, you know, we, I think you, you and I have a mutual acquaintance, uh, the late, great Wayne Barrett, um, yep. who, right, you, you must have known Wayne, right? Respected the living holy hell out of him. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was amazing. He was sort of like, a, he was one of the great investigative reporters ever. And, and, and he, you know, Wayne was, was very into the idea that, uh, you know, he, he was 
one of Trump's first biographers, and he continually pointed out that Roy Cohn was a huge influence on Trump. That you know he had he had been his early you know first early patron and mentor in, in politics. And you're right, you know Stephen Miller has a lot has a lot in common with with that, and they're the same kind of personality. They do kind of look look alike. They have the same the same kind of ghoulish cadaverous uh appearance and yeah uh, it's it's clear that he has the ear of uh, of trump him and bannon um but you know what I, I wonder if it's just this jeff sessions thing will end up having uh, a negative impact on miller since that's that's his link to to the trump white house if, if session goes i wonder if miller will too we're talking to matt taibbi um again go by uh insane clown president um it's it <laughs> It'll probably be a textbook eventually taught in, in major colleges and universities. I, I was thinking about this again and, and watching this initial fawning reaction to, to, to this speech because you saw it. You read it. It was and Van Jones, who, you know, a smart guy said he became president tonight with that. Mo- I felt like I was watching a different movie. Matt, they treated it. They treated it like it was it was Churchill giving his we'll fight them on the beaches a, a speech. And it, this is again, it's a long way around to ask you this. Has he intimidated people in our business in ways that that they don't fully op, uh, appreciate right now? Definitely, and, and and there's other stuff going on too. It's it's the power of the presidency and the sort of in, instinctive toadyism that you'll find in, among people in our business. That's that's a, a big factor. But I, I think another kind of underappreciated factor is the financial part of it. Uh, Trump, you know, after decades of inexorable decline in the news media business, Trump is the first person who's figured out how to make the news business profitable. He, since uh, since the election, ratings are up in the cable news. Uh, it's fifty percent uh, among eighteen to twenty. Yeah, I'm sorry, eighteen to forty-two uh, aged people on CNN. It's fifty percent across the board at Fox. It's thirty percent in MSNBC. The New York Times got 132,000 new subscribers in 18 days after the election, which is 10 times the amount that they got the, the previous year. Um, so everybody's making money. CNN expects to make a billion dollars in profit this year. So there's this unspoken, uh, unconscious sort of gravitational pull towards Trump that I think what, what happens with people who are in the business they just start to rationalize all the coverage after a while, and it starts to work on your brain, and you, and you do start to say things like he is presidential after a while because it's just a symbiotic relationship, and it expresses itself that way. I think I just gave you the idea for your next book, by the way. You know, <laughs> huh? You, you track? You might, you might you, have, you, definitely. No, I, and and I I don't. I, I don't expect to share in in any of the royalties. Um, I um, an acknowledgement. <laughs> an acknowledgement. By the way, do you, we you know if we 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 shared not only some some mutual friends. Do you know we have the Boston Phoenix in common? Do you know that? I did not know that. Did you work at the Phoenix once? When I was at Bo- when I was at Boston College, the late great George Kimball and I were a two man sports staff. Uh, at at the Boston Phoenix, and I was wow. writing every week. I was writing every week for the Phoenix, starting my senior year until um, until I got hired to come uh, 
to, to New York City. And I, yes, we have, we have the Boston Phoenix absolutely in common. I used to go to the old office on uh, Mass Ave, but I think they've gone to a fancier place now, haven't they? I, I, you know, I don't know where they are now. Did, did you work with Charlie Pierce back then, back in the day? I knew Charlie, yes, uh, but I, we, 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 and I believe we intersected um, at, at, at that time. This is, you know, obviously this is 9,000 years ago when, when, uh, when dinosaurs still roam the earth. <laughs> I, um, all right, let me ask you this, looking forward. I just got a few minutes left with Matt Taibbi. Draw up a dream Democratic candidate to run against this Ooh. man. I'm a great admirer of Chris Murphy in, in, in Connecticut, okay? I don't know mm-hmm. if you can run from there, but his heart is in the right place on all the things that I think, you know, if we, we made a list of the things that we think are important and care about the most, Chris Murphy is on uh, the right side of this. I, I actually think that Hillary Clinton was, was hurt a little bit by being a woman, but not for reasons that, that you would normally think. I think there was a feeling in this country that, okay— we, we we elected the black guy twice. We're feeling really good about ourselves. But oh my God, do we do we have to do it again with a woman? <laughs> yeah, it could be. That that definitely could be true. Um, yeah, Chris Murphy could be a good candidate. Uh, that's interesting. I, I um, you, know, you know, a lot of people talk about Elizabeth Warren. I'm I'm not so sure about Elizabeth Warren. I, I like. I like her politics a lot, but, um, you know, I think uh, it's funny. I, I watch her a lot in the Senate, and she doesn't like to – if you watch them in between votes, all the members are always chatting and sort of schmoozing each other, and you know, Elizabeth Warren doesn't even like to talk to other members of the Senate. Uh, I think to run for president and win, you just have to love being around people because that's part of what campaigning is all about, and I, I don't see that from her. Um, so much. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, it, you know, I like Sherrod Brown from Ohio a lot. Um, and I think, he That's, might, you know, he I was about well. to, Matt, I was about to say to you, we what we ought to do is take a map of the country and, and try to find the exact geographic center of the United States <laughs> of America and find some sort of populist young Democrat to come out of one of those states. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was the original thinking behind, you know, the DLC and the Clint- and Bill Clinton back in the day. Um, and, you know, they might they may have to do something like that again. But I but I do think that a lot of the political formula that that uh, was behind the Sanders campaign, uh, I think that would be successful also. Um, you know, the, the Democrats lost a lot in this election because they just didn't generate a lot of enthusiasm and energy. Uh, whereas the Sanders campaign did do that. So they have to find, I think they have to find that. I think it's the, the politics as much as who it is. Um, but that's a long way away. I mean, I think right now they have, they have to find a way to, to get together and figure out a, 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 a strategy to oppose Trump, you know, while, while he's in office. It has been great talking to you again. It's, it's, I, I, I'm a huge fan. I, I urge people to buy your book later on today. I'm going to uh, 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 email you the link to this because you have all the Twitter followers that I don't have because I, I do you get into the Thunderdome? I, I, I only got on Twitter this year and I, I sort of just use it to make my own observations. I don't, there's not a lot of give and take. Do you do a lot of that? Um, 
Yeah, you know, a little bit. I, I, I have fun with Twitter. I mean, I, I, probably if you just got on this year, you're saying? It's, yeah, I, last, last, uh, last February. Last February, yeah. something like that. Yeah. It takes a while to, to kind of get into it. Um, you know, tw- Twitter has its own rhythm, and um, as a writing exercise, you know, I think, you know, you're a great writer, so you'd, you'd know this, that, you know, every every medium is different. You have to get used to it, and getting used to 140 characters is is different. Uh, getting used to how people respond, and they respond so fast on Twitter. It's, 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 it's definitely a fun fun thing i think i think you'll get into it after a while um all right my, also my last full of, full of crazy people so yeah last question what what really rocked your world the most matt the tragedy in bowling green or the tragedy in sweden which one just made you really <laughs> most which made you most concerned about the future of 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 the republic and the future of the planet i my you know my wife's from ohio so you know she she, she said my god you know that happened <laughs> that happened on our soil you know but i it was then for for sweden to follow that quickly matt which one bothered you the most I, well i think we should have probably build a museum to commemorate both massacres uh, and you know that would be that would be a really interesting thing to do. But yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. You, know, it, it, you, you bring up Twitter, like that's how you have to consume the news now. You have to check every three minutes to see what crazy thing they've done, um, you know, today. And you know, <laughs> Trump is totally capable of doing doing that 10 more times before the year is out. So yeah, no, those, those, those were crazy stories. Well, if we're going to continue to exist on a fault line in this country, the, the, one of the people who we, we, we have to read will be Matt Taibbi. Read his books. Uh, read them in Rolling Stone because it's as good as it gets. And uh, thanks, man, for doing this today. Mike, it's been a great honor. I really appreciate it. And good luck. Matt Taibbi, Rolling Stone, insane clown president. We, we didn't get to Milo, which is one of his most recent columns because... Who the hell cares? And uh, but this is the kind of conversation we have on this podcast every week. It's why this the, the audience continues to grow. Please um, subscribe. Pr- please download it. Go to the comment section. I'm sure I said nothing to upset you today, but I'm sure Mr. Taibbi did. And we will talk to you next week, everybody. The Mike Lupica podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. 